Well, hello again, and thank you for joining me on the latest episode of the Inside Track podcast. I'm Tony Lockwood, founder of Thompson Wright Partners. We focus on supporting organizations through change and transformation, providing consulting, executive search, and interim solutions. Being practitioners of change, we have built up an enviable network of senior transformation leaders, many of whom we will introduce to you in future episodes. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Steve Dover. He has many years' experience of delivering complex programs across many sectors. The podcast is slightly longer than normal, not because Steve can talk a lot, he can, by the way, but more that what he is saying is really, really good. So let's get into it. Hi, Steve. Uh, um, great that you could join us today. Um, how are you enjoying the, the British weather? It's it's absolutely marvellous, yes, uh, and uh, recently returned from two weeks in Australia where it was the same. Oh. <laughs> Slightly opposite ends of the spectrum, was it? Yeah, well, but no, it was raining a lot, but oh, uh, right. at least it was warm and it put the fires out. Yes, yes, good, good, good. So I, I was keen to get you involved in the podcast uh, as I was fascinated to listen to your journey with one of the universities. When, when we spoke a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sure we'll explore that a little bit more in, in a little bit more detail in, in, in due course. But before that, can you provide the listeners with a bit of background on yourself? Yeah, sure. So um, my background is I, I was born uh, in Liverpool, uh, left home in my late teens, ended up going to Newcastle Polytechnic, qualified there with a degree in engineering, uh, then works, went straight into the world of, of, of work leading a design team in Paris of all places, which was totally unexpected, but you know, got on and did it for nine months. That was great. Ended up in London and um, through from 1978 through till 1998 was uh, leading some of the biggest construction uh, projects and developments in the city of London, including um, the Broadgate development of 1.75 billion um, around Liverpool Street um, and uh, then in 1998 got headhunted into the fledgling Capita group right. uh, by Rod Aldridge and his MD um, and CEO and within um, very quick succession of, of me reorganizing the way that they did their bidding um, uh, so basically I just put some organization into it because it was a bit all over the place and um, we won the criminal records bureau the London congestion charge and the TV licensing uh, which together was almost two billion pounds worth of business and then I went on to they couldn't implement these things right. to get them going um, so I was then asked to be the program director implementing the uh, two of those which was the criminal records bureau which was back in liverpool which i didn't want to be there but you know <laughs> your needs must and um and then the uh, the london congestion charge right. so i'm not the most popular of people in london <laughs> and around its environs but uh, you know we delivered those things on time they worked and they still do uh, and they're delivering great services and so then what? sorry, sorry. Go, ahead. go ahead no, I was just going to say, in, in terms of your experience of managing major construction programs yeah. um, and, uh, uh, and then translating that into uh, a sort of business administrative type of program, yeah. um, so not bricks and mortar or concrete and steel, 
yeah. but physical uh, people in, 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 in process and technology. Yeah. What, what, was the, what were the key uh, themes there that were sort of consistent? Well, the key themes are, are the stakeholders. So, and, and, and the thing is around, around construction, if, if someone tells you something and you don't believe them, you can actually take them by the ear and lead them outside and say, <laughs> well, you said that was built and clearly it's not. Yeah. Um, you know, that it's, it's, it's more subtle in, in, the, in the business transformations, particularly when you add in the elements of the technology enablers. But the, the manner in which you treat the people, the manner in which you approach the plans, um, you know, visualize what the strategic outcomes are to be are pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. And what I've found is that my background in construction uh, gives me the ability to get to the truth fairly quickly, clearly without being too brutal about it, but I will get to the truth of the matter fairly quickly. And, you know, when there's a problem in construction, you get everyone concerned around the table until it's resolved. Yeah. And and I, I, I do that, you know, uh, consistently with all the programs that I've led, and it makes such a big difference, Yes, yeah. particularly when you include you know, the stakeholders, whether they are easy or difficult stakeholders, you know, they all have uh, an equal share in the outcomes of whatever you're doing. The other thing that I had in construction, which I still retain within the transformation work that I do now, is that I could look at an architectural plan and I could see the finished object even immediately in my head in 3D. And with transformations, as soon as I've read the brief, I can pretty much see what the main key deliverable outcomes are from a program in a, in that you know multi-dimensional and multi-stakeholder landscape. Right. So it gives me an ability to get under the skin of a transformation fairly quickly and start to put together the uh, the critical plans that will deliver those outcomes. And and presumably having that sort of clarity around the vision and and, and and understanding of what it is that you're trying to achieve then that makes it easier to communicate and to sell into the into the wider community yeah and and it does and it's like you know so when i talk to technical people i can talk to them in a way that they will understand what i'm saying yeah and more importantly when i'm talking to the business community within organizations i can talk to them in a way that articulates the how and the who, even if it's technical uh, input, so that they also can understand it. And latterly, uh, within the University of Manchester, I have to say, higher education has probably the most difficult cross-section of stakeholders you can come across, apart from perhaps the health service, because you have the added element of the academics, Mm. uh, as well as the business and the technology people. Um, and of course, in in, uh, in in health, you've got the the, the similar situation with clinicians. Yeah. Um, and and of course, everybody knows best how they want things to be, um, but they're looking at it with very blinkered uh, vision. And it's my job as a program director or leading a transformation to be able to explain at each point uh, through the transformation that, that that's going ahead. That yes, they are taken care of. But there are other people other than their section of stakeholders involved in this. Yes, absolutely. 
And coming back to what you were saying there about um, bringing all the stakeholders together and, and getting them around a the table as you have done in construction, I, I, I have you found business business stakeholders and, 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 and within your sort of uh, uh, the transformation space take to that? Um, have they been resistant or, or have they, you know, once you've, once you've been able to demonstrate the, the reasons for that and, and the success of the, that that can deliver, then yeah. come willingly. So I'd say that the majority are are, are fine with it, uh, and that but there are resistors. There are, all, there are always resistors. Um, but it's about understanding then what what it is that they either are appearing to safeguard, or what it is that they're afraid of. Mm -hmm. And I have found in both in particularly in government and in higher education that they're afraid of being exposed. They're afraid of, of, of looking a bit silly. Uh, so it's really, really important to understand their drivers mm -hmm. so that you can speak in a language language that overcomes that, that brings them into the fold as opposed to, do you know what? Why do you do that like that? That's a really silly thing to do. Mm. And of course, that's it. You've lost them, or you've lost an individual, or even a group of, yeah. of, of people if, if if that happens. So it, yeah, it's about di different conversations. And I have to say, big difference between construction and uh, and and central government and higher education and charities and and all of those other sectors I've worked in as well is that. In construction, you have very straight conversations, mm -hmm. um, but you know what you have to do is is tailor the conversation to the situation that you find yourself in. So it's much more subtle yeah. in government and and other sectors than it is in construction. Um, there are different languages, as many people understand, particularly within the civil service. Mm -hmm. Someone says, "I'm really uncomfortable." If someone says I'm uncomfortable with that, it means they really do not want to do it. <laughs> uh, and there are other expressions which I won't quite go into, which yes. sorts of other things. <laughs> um, and it's very similar in, 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 in higher education. Charity is somewhat different. It depends, it's where the focus is. But, you know, it, when I walked into DWP in 2006, I had to pick up a team of 120 very depressed civil servants who just failed on a business process re-engineering program that had delivered no improvements mm -hmm. and then deliver the 285 million pound employment support allowance yeah. within 18 months. And we did that and we picked them up and we you know, really just got them going, got them enthused and then started to look at all of the operational stakeholders, which was not straightforward. No, well, it was a question I was going to ask actually, because you know, you're absolutely right. There's so many, May, uh, the, the press have a field day, don't they, in terms of picking up oh, uh, major, um, major government projects that are yeah. deemed to be failed, deemed to have been massively over over budget, uh, yeah. and you know it, it's HS two at the moment on the big infrastructure one. Yeah, yeah. There's something else in the past. It was the uh, NHS one a few years ago. But, 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 you know, nobody read about the employment support allowance. Oh, no, because it's not news, is it? Good, good, good well, news stories doesn't hit, doesn't hit the news line, uh, newspapers. Yeah. So, so just, just sort of going into that, picking up that team of people then that have uh, probably been heavily criticised publicly yeah. in, the, in the press, 
potentially even locally within the within the sort of line management. Yes. What did, what about what what did you do to to what you know what 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 actions and what activities did you do to sort of turn them around to, so to I, pick them up so that they could actually succeed in the next one? Yeah. So so I got really personal with them. So I basically once I got my feet under the table, which doesn't generally take too long. I'm talking about a couple of weeks to a month. Yeah. Uh, and then understand, you know, the the, the blueprint of what. What, what we're going to be delivering, what the key things are, and therefore what the shape of the plan is. Uh, so I articulated that. I put put that. Uh, so I roll my sleeves up in this stuff, and and um, I conducted a half hour personal um, meeting, not an interview, yeah. uh, meeting with each and every one of those hundred and twenty civil servants right. over the course of three to four months. And it was prioritized in my diary that I'd do this. And the first 15 minutes was their 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. It was for them to articulate how they were feeling. It was for them to tell me what they thought about this new program and what they'd been through. And it was for them just briefly to try and articulate what they thought their part was right. in the new program. The other and then the other 15 minutes was was me basically saying okay I acknowledge all of that here's what I would like your part to be and the last three minutes was about what's your hobby right so you know actually getting to a personal level with the people who are going to be doing the work on the ground is really important and understanding what makes them tick both inside and outside of work yeah. is important the other thing that I did and I still do on a regular basis every fortnight on any program that I run. I did this in construction as well. I would pull the whole team together, all the, all of the people, including the third parties. Uh, so in government, there was Accenture, it, it, it was EDS at the time, HP now and BT. All of them I mingled in with the client teams, with the civil servants, co-located everybody into a single place. And I would do half-hour stand-ups every two weeks right. and tell them what was happening outside of what they're doing in that bubble and tell them how bloody brilliant they're doing mm. at contributing to the whole program. And so that, again, coming back to that point about being clear about what the objective is, being clear yeah. about the end vision and, yeah. talk, and, and talking to them about the progress that's being made on that journey. Yeah. And then, and then you know, once we pull the people up, got the people up then it was about the governance and the methodology then it was about the commercial arrangements and the frameworks uh, to be put in place to get on board the likes of Accenture uh, and BT uh, EDS were already in there on a framework yeah. then it was about briefing their people about how I wanted them to be so for me an external supplier is not an external supplier they are a third-party partner yeah. with a specific expertise that my organization lacks and therefore, they will be treated as such, not as a contractor that's come to take the taxpayer's money, as it were. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I had to change the mindset of the civil servants that worked in the team as well. And to help do that, I mixed them in with the third parties in the, in the different parts that they worked in. And that worked so, so well. In fact, some of them left the civil service and joined Accenture. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's always a risk of that. You know, now, having, having that ability to move 
in, in, in different directions is, is absolutely critical because at some yeah. stage they'll probably want to come back in. Exactly. And but the, the other thing is, you know, out, so outside of that team that's doing the stuff, it's, it's about getting through the difficult stakeholder times, the, 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 the naysayers, the people who, who have purposely you know, within your own ranks, as it were, stood yeah. outside of the tent and armed themselves with a ton of bricks to throw at you at every stage. <laughs> so it's getting through all, all of the, you know, major program reviews, uh, the criticisms that people go, well, I don't particularly agree with this. Why can't we stick with what we've already got and just add stuff onto that? And, you know, really defusing those things. Um, mostly on a proactive and preemptive basis, but then when they do flare up, having the ability to be able to get those difficult people on side and move forward. Yeah. And and there were many challenges, even up to you know ministerial level, with the employment and support allowance. Um, but we got through it. So what's what's been the most challenging uh, program that you've been involved in? The most challenging program I was involved in was definitely the London congestion charge. Right. And what made it most, uh, what, why was that the most challenging? Well, well, one, it was based in Coventry. <laughs> <laughs> and the day that my MD said, I just got back from six weeks in Australia after having finished the Criminal Records Bureau. And then he told me where he was sending me. I lived in East Sussex at the time. Right. <laughs> uh, and I said, right, I've finished that thing in Liverpool. I've come back. What's next? He went, well, you know, we won the London congestion charge. Yeah. He said, I'd like you to go and lead that because that's going a bit awry now on the implementation. And I said, great, that's based in London, right? <laughs> Wrong. Anyway, so what, once again, once I understood the landscape, the landscape was, was, was simply this. TFL are a very, very difficult uh, client, or they were then. Uh, Ken Livingston was the leader at the time. Basically, what they had was very shit-hot lawyers. And they had put into the contract a number, it was at least half a dozen critical milestones. Right. And each of those milestones, if, if, if they were missed even by 24 hours, attracted punitive damages. Right. And I did berate my board in Capita for signing this contract willy-nilly mm. uh, without, without dampening those punitive damages down. Because, for example... Within a week, if you hadn't recovered the situation and evidence that you'd done so, that's a million pounds. Wow. I mean, it was just appalling. If you didn't have all of the retail providers for the sale of the congestion charge itself in the scheme, including the most difficult post office, it's a million pounds. Mm. All right. So I basically, I ran. I, de I decided I would run two programs. Right? One program would meet every milestone with all of the underpinning evidence. The other program was the real one that delivered the outcome. Right. Right. So it's like you know, uh, uh, running across the top. You know, it's a bit like the swan. <laughs> but that's meeting all the milestones all lovely and underneath like everyone is working very very hard to deliver the real thing mm -hmm. and and we did and and it and it, it opened on time and it worked so um yeah that was probably the most difficult and 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 the post office wouldn't play they they wanted they wanted a guaranteed 
uh, two million pounds revenue per annum and i managed to get a break clause put in the contract uh, but what they said was when it came to sign it at their headquarters in old street in london they they said um i said you've taken out the clause which is a minimum two million even if we're we break break the, the relationship after six months and they all looked a bit sheepish including their ceo and i said it's out right we did agree that was out and they went actually no no i went all right that's it closed it up walked out right, right. I, I said i said worse to them actually but anyway <laughs> um so we lost the post office and i rang my board and said i've lost the post office is the story and that got out to, to ken livingston who was on the news that day at the six o'clock news or the six thirty local news in london and he added on to the end of his bit he was talking about he said oh, i just wanted to say that uh, i've heard the most awful example of corporate greed in my whole life today and <laughs> i can tell you formally that the post office will not be part of my congestion scheme right i thought thank god for that because i was <laughs> <laughs> interesting interesting so um yeah in, in in terms of that sort of approach you know you've you've, you've sort of gone through uh, a lot of elements of how you uh, sort of take on a, a new program and the key thing but in yeah. terms of ensuring delivery um you know do you have a, a framework that you follow do you have a, a sort of an over overview that you follow or do you yeah just, uh, adapt as 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 needs as needs must be? i i do i mean uh, you know for the implementation team it's it, it's pretty strict yeah so obviously you do you do the breakdown into the necessary uh, the necessary elements of the program. Um, every element of the program includes both business and IT people. Mm -hmm. Every stage of the programs include equally business and IT people. And the reason I say that is that one of the things that I do is I break down that traditional barrier between business and IT. And latterly in the, in, in, in the University of Manchester, it was probably one of the worst examples of a um, dysfunctional relationship between technology and business that I've ever come across. Right. So the technology guys were so beaten by the business and blamed for any ill uh, that they were comfortable with it. Right. And the business didn't want to change that situation because they had someone to beat and blame. <laughs> it was extraordinary. So um, one of the first things that, that I did uh, there was I said, well, there will be no business requirements. I'm not accepting any from the business. You're going to work together seamlessly. So transparently um, collaborate with the business, business and IT working together to come out with business outcomes and then working together with the IT, you work out what Business, simplified standardized business processes can be driven with the out-of-the-box IT to meet the outcomes um, and support the student journey. So this is yeah. a student lifecycle program. Um, so that that refusal to have requirements into the into the program resulted in a, an escalation to the vice chancellor and president within half a day. Right. Um, 
because it was who's this coming in and telling us we can't provide business requirements yeah. and the reason why i said the no business requirements is the requirement has a really helpful piece to it which is it does tend to articulate the outcome that's being sought but it's got the unhelpful bit that goes and this is how we want to do it yeah, yeah. and you can't do that how because the how has a lot to do with what technology you're applying and up with heavily customized platforms and the technology side and you know it just it just really expensive operational costs yeah and you'll always carry a bit of the you old business isolation process, world into the new um but anyway i'm um, coming back to your question about frameworks for control yeah but i have very before you do that because yeah. i think it's a, it's a good opportunity to jump into a little bit of detail uh, around sort of the university side because i think i remember you saying that um you know you you, you completely uh, automated the uh, student journey uh, with technology that was completely out of the box yes and, and not not configured at all no it's configured and, not customized no. not customized sorry not customized yeah. at all yeah. yeah um which is pretty unheard of in, it, in, in it, my experience it's never been done before yeah so so what was the thinking there and what was the you know what was the benefit to you and the program of doing it that way so the benefit to uh to the university is that they get uh from a an operation business operational point of view they get standardized and simplified business processes across all areas of the organization so across three faculties 17 schools and the central administration and from a technology point of view you get a much more efficient set of platforms uh, which over time as you move forward because as soon as you've delivered the, delivered the, the the program the minimum viable product the world doesn't stop then yeah. so you've got to think about what happens next now if you customize those things and you don't have that work that that methodology that joins the business up with the IT then you go back into the old thing of me business wants this UIT will do it this way um, and, and, and it takes forever to do that. Whereas if you've got clean platforms for IT, you can swap products in and out in a very agile way. And I mean a purely agile fashion, working together with the business going forward. Um, and it's far less cost uh, in terms of maintenance and upkeep. When you come to do an upgrade, you don't have to unplug all of your customizations. Yeah. You just apply the patch, job done in terms of performance because the other thing that we did that i did on this program was i had the it put everything in azure on this on an azure platform they'd never done that before mm -hmm. and um in doing that all you're doing is paying for the compute power that you use yeah. now if you put customizations into that technology generally what happens is it knocks it takes the performance takes a knock and you have to buy more compute power to get through that. Yeah. So that was that was the other advantage. And for the business, well, actually, life becomes much more simple and straightforward and standardized. But it does present a problem in that they have to change their operating model and reduce the workforce by up to thirty percent. Mm -hmm. And the savings out of that are around eleven point eight five million per annum. Right. Which, of course, can then be uh, invested where it should be, 
which is what higher education is all about, is it not? Educational outcomes for yeah. their students yeah. or customers, should we say? Interesting. And what was the was there many barriers for you doing that within within the university? With the uh, you know you touched on earlier that um, you know historically the business had been uh, telling IT what they wanted and and, and yeah. blaming them when they, when they didn't. How did you overcome yeah. that, that those barriers then? So um, by by examples really. Um, so uh, right from the right, right from the start, uh, I, I insisted on on on. Well, I came up with the program design and the design of the implementation. How it would be governed underneath, you know, what the what communication frameworks would be, and all of those. In as I started to understand this quite complex stakeholder uh, landscape. Um, but you know it's about putting solid plans in place um leading by example and saying if you do it this way this is what the possible outcomes will be if you do it this way although initially it's not what you're used to here's what the outcomes are yeah you know here's how we build traceability between all of the artifacts in the implementation through from you know the initial <coughs> business case design through to the build you know the build of the IT, the build and design of the operating model, and then into the operation itself. Here's how you glue those things together incrementally without even having to worry about them, as yeah. you do the main thing, which is implementing the program within the budget, within the time. And um, you know there were some difficult times because people are, you know, people are necessarily stuck in what they know, mm. and it's comfortable. And to break them out of that is sometimes quite difficult. So I don't beat them with a club or a stick until <laughs> the shell's broken, but it's just about, you know, continuing to bring them along on the journey and keep reminding them about this is what we're looking to achieve and this is how we're going to do it. Yeah. And there were some naysayers. I mean, there was one, there was one other big thing because the, the actual design um, and the breaking down of those barriers between the various uh, implementation parts, uh, in particular the IT and the business, took me four to six months for them to really get it because yeah. because I, I'd put it all, uh, I'd articulated it on a single slide. Right. I should send you this thing if I haven't already. And basically, they would go away from a meeting where I'd show them this thing and they'd come back and go, no, it, it, it can't be that logical, can it? <laughs> It can't it can't be that straightforward. And I said, well, it is that straightforward, but what's difficult is getting people to drop what they know and stop letting that get in the way of what they don't. Yes. And also instilling in them through coaching, mentoring, encouragement, that ability to listen to what's being said as opposed to them listening for something they want to hear yeah and and i did all sorts of things in the workshop rooms you know i co-located the teams as well in one single open plan floor right that worked brilliantly yeah yeah because people would just go and talk to each other and stop and they stopped sending emails they just went and talked to each other it was great yeah. you just break down those barriers don't you yeah you break down the barriers and although it's quite difficult to do that to start with mm -hmm. With a bit of tenacity and a bit of hugging, 
you know, and all of that stuff, you get them there. And yeah. once they were through it and they started the work, and of course I had another element into this mix in the university, which was the third party uh, provider, Accenture, and they were brilliant with them. Yeah. And all three parties, business IT, Accenture, and the outlying stakeholders, once we got into the design part, they flew. And I was really afraid that they wouldn't. I was afraid that there'd be so much noise. But, you know, they got on with it. There were some naysayers, but actually I found one workshop room. They had two real negative people in there. And I'm sat in the room because I used to go and sit in the rooms quietly for an hour, just listening and watching and picking up where I had to. And I was about to pick up on these two people. The team in the room picked them up. Right. And basically said, guys, you get with it or you can leave. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, God, I'm glad I didn't have to say that. <laughs> no, don't you? Well, you know, you, you, you know you've got there, don't you, when, when that happens. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Great, great. So um, <clears throat> construction and then transformation. Um, yeah. I, I, I've personally always um, been envious, I suppose, of the construction guys who – can look back as you as you were saying earlier, walking down the street in London and say, "Yeah, I've done that. I've I yeah. built that." Yeah. Um, it, it, obviously, right. in transformation, you know, you, you know, you, you can look back and say, "Well, actually, that student journey in the university has completely changed because of the program I've done." Yeah. Which which has given you most sort of satisfaction? Uh, uh, it's even for me in 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 but obviously in different ways. So, for example. Criminal Records Bureau. Um, once that went live, you know, everyone's got children, everyone's got parents or even elderly parents that might be in a home. Children are vulnerable, mm -hmm. el the elderly are vulnerable. If we, and I used to say this to the teams, it, you know, we save one person from abuse yeah. or being killed in a vulnerable situation through what we do and what we deliver. That's success. That's priceless. Yeah, yeah. And 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 that to me lives on with me today. And when I go, you know, into the um, uh, in, drive into London, into the congestion charging zone, I think, crikey, I better pay. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think I think crap, I did that. <laughs> but it made a difference. So yes. I think of the differences it made. And when I walk, you know, past parts of Broadgate that are still there, the big phases down Bishopsgate, which were my particular favourites. Uh, you know, when I walk across some place, I can see snags right. that I could never fix. Yeah. And there's a couple of those, and they make me chuckle, but they make <laughs> me frustrated as well because I couldn't fix them. Yeah. But it's great to see those things. You know, I love it. But you know when you're getting on a bit, when they demolish some of the buildings that you built. <laughs> So if you had to uh, boil your experience down into sort of one core takeaway today, what, what do you think that would be? The application of common sense to nonsensical situations. And what do you mean? What I mean is that every transformation starts with a confu confusion. Mm -hmm. So there may be some organisations who've got a very clear vision of what their future wants to look like. Uh, and that's great. You know, you can set out, I mean, I can set out strategic visions for different organisations in, in different sectors and have done so successfully before. 
but it's about that okay now we've got that how do we do it how do we really really do it how do we do it and then make sure that it sticks make sure that actually we move with the times while we're doing it if we need to and how do we measure the outcomes and the benefits of having done what we do right. and and it's it, it, it it's that um it's i carry that that logic and drive for delivery through to creating and and uh, creating and building the outcomes that you set out to do and putting that piece of the jigsaw into bringing into reality that piece of the jigsaw which is their strategic vision yeah. and then move on to the next and the next and the next and each time you put one in to the vision you go brought that into reality great done the target operating model done the underlying solution architecture and the technology platforms that enable it all all done well how does that reflect on our vision today because we should be open to change those things uh before we embark on the next part of transformation and what i really love and and, it, and it's great when it happens and i get a real buzz out of it is 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 when the people start to really open up and collaborate with all that they have personally and professionally yeah yeah and that's great and, and like you say it just it, it mushrooms then very very quickly and, doesn't it yeah and for me uh, you know i am a catalyst for that yeah yeah Great. We, we, we do get a, occasionally get questions sent in. Uh, if I collate them and send yeah. them over, would you be happy to, to respond? Absolutely fine. Brilliant. Well, it's, uh, um, it's, it's really been a, a very fascinating half hour or so. So uh, once again, thank you very much and uh, speak soon. Thank you, Tony. Well, let me thank Steve once again. I'm sure that you'll agree that he was great value and that you'll have the number of ideas and thoughts that you can now deploy into your future programs. That is the real purpose of these podcasts. We have some really interesting people joining us in the next few weeks, including a psychologist that has some really interesting insights into what makes us all tick. So, see you soon. <laughs>